Hello, good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, I'm one of your hosts. The other host here is joining us today. It's the man of the hour, even a broken clock is right twice a day. It is covert, to the go, to the blue. How are you today, my friend? What is up? And uh, since we've only got one hour for me to be man of the hour, we'll just keep it quick and say, hey, everybody. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, basically, we've had a lot of spoilers coming down the pike in the last few days for M21. So we're going to be spending most of the episode talking about those cards and just assessing how we're going to be feeling about them in the current and future standard. And uh, we're also going to just briefly touch in on the new meta, which we've had an opportunity to play for, you know, a day, basically. So probably we'll have a little bit more content for you on the standard meta next week. But in the meantime, we have some juicy spoilers to focus on. So let's just hit on that real quick, CGB. You've been playing a little bit of new standard. I've been playing a little bit of new standard. How's it been going for you? So... There was a delay on when Agent of Treachery was banned and Fires of Invention was banned. It was supposed to be Thursday and it turned out to be Friday. So I barely got much in, but the first thing I wanted to check is if Jeskai Luca was still good despite pretty aggressive bans. So I started playing with four Dream Trawlers in the deck and otherwise just substituting, I think there were a few Elspeths, a few Shark Typhoons, and a few Shatter the Skies to replace the fires. Just more of the more of the same, basically. And it turns out that five mana for two Dream Trawlers is still pretty good. Yeah, it sounds decent. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. Um, I don't know if my results with the deck will hold into competitive formats, but for that first day... Nobody was ready for a dream trawler. There was nobody was ready to kill it. The only person who actually removed a dream trawler from the table, and I'm not kidding. This is in Mythic, by the way. I'm playing in like top hundred Mythic. The only person who got the dream trawler off the table was Mardu Knights, who had a Shatter the Sky in their deck. Wow, spicy Shatter the Sky. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it coming either. And what's funny, I love what's it. funny is they also had a Shadow Spear. Like I they they were ready. You know, they showed up prepared. Still beat them cuz I just played Dream Trawler for 3 turns in a row. But I mean, right now nobody could stop it and particularly I think a lot of people turned to food, Jun food and Cat Oven right away. They have a really hard time if you start attacking with a Dream Trawler. So even though Dream Trawler is six mana and uh, Luka Copperco Outcast is five, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when you use Luka to make a Dream Trawler out of a token on turn five, they usually can't attack into that Dream Trawler without giving you three life and without losing their best creature. So they usually can't attack, which means the very next turn, the Luka just makes another Dream Trawler. Because it's still sitting there on three loyalty. Yeah. And I imagine that the cat oven combo doesn't do very well against Dream Trawler, right? So. <laughs> yeah, it's just an endless card draw life gain engine. They can't nickel and dime you out anymore. 
Do you ever have a problem with the priest? The priest. Yeah, the priest met my friends Deafening Clarion and Shatter the Sky on turns three and four. It, it wasn't too there bad. It wasn't too bad. There you go. Pretty, pretty deece from that. Um, you're also still playing, although like on the priest note, you're also still playing uh, enough token makers. You're still playing Elspeth, Sun's Nemesis. You're still playing Omen of the Sun. You're still playing Birth of Melitus, right? So you've got stuff to sacrifice. Even if they're doing silly things like spending that claim the firstborn on stealing your tokens and sacking all of your other stuff it's like it just doesn't even matter right it's not Mm -hmm. like your deck can just chug along and not really worry about that kind of thing so still playing yorian i assume yeah uh stuck with 80 cards stuck with yorian i think i cast it once all day okay Um, i think i put in my hand and cast it exactly one time the whole day seemed completely unnecessary a 60 card deck might be the, a good choice for best of three type environments where your sideboard really matters for best of one. It just felt like it felt like you wanted 80 cards because you wanted to run all four dream trawlers. Cause you want to basically play a dream trawler every turn from turn five through eight or until the opponent is dead. So you wanted all four in the deck, but you don't want to draw them. So 80 cards actually, Felt like it made it easier to not flood on the Dream Trawler, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so the impression I get is that Yorian is still definitely playable. I think a lot of people are testing that right now to see whether Yorian is still decent. Now, it's interesting because, so the deck that I've been laddering with, yeah, like you, I've only been able to get a little bit in. I've only played a few hours of, of Standard in the last week basically because i was so sick of the old format but so i've been playing a Sultai mutate deck with umari still and the the reason i'm playing umari is actually because when i look at my deck list i i actually just don't want to play any non-creature cards in the deck Uh, the deck is basically like dorks and mutators and that's it and so the Omari really is free. Like if, if I weren't to run the Omari, I literally just wouldn't be running any non-creature spells in the main deck. And I have also cast Omari seldom, very, very seldom. One of the nice things I have found about having a companion in the new meta is simply that if you're in one of those scenarios where you'd rather not play a spell on your turn, maybe you played an Arboreal Grazer in, and now you have three lands on turn two and you actually don't have a, a follow-up play. Or maybe you know your opponent's calling up counter magic or there's just some other thing going on. Then it can actually be kind of nice to just spend the mana and get a card in your hand. In all other situations, it's fairly useless. But I have actually, I have actually swiped and cast Umari a number of times in my best of one experience playing this deck. So I don't think that I would warp a deck around a companion at this point, but when it's basically free, like in a mutate deck, I still think it's totally fine to have it. And, you know, I did it did make a difference in a couple of games that I played. But however, I will say I've been having just a heck of a time playing this Sultai Mutate deck, and it's been fairly dominant. I, I have to say it's it's I've been crushing mono red. I've even been crushing cycling. I've been crushing Cat Oven with it. To be honest, like one of the main weaknesses of the deck has just been the Priest. Priest continues to be a challenge for the Mutate deck, although my deck is running the Pouncing Shawshark, which does a lot. So if you can start sharking soon enough, and like 
here's the thing with with the pouncing shark shark, right? Once you get the shark down and and it sticks, the game is over. Like if your opponent's trying to do any kind of creaturey thing, the game is just over because every turn you're mutating, bouncing, and they just can't get established. I picked it up basically just to see whether it would still be viable in the new standard, and I was very very pleasantly surprised. Yeah, Salt I Mutate, it's been fantastic for me. It's had a surprising amount of game against a lot of different matchups. I'm basically going to keep playing it until I plateau off and decide that it's not good, but that has certainly not happened yet. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'll put a link to your deck as well, CGB, so that if y'all are looking at playing Standard in this next week, you have two very different lists that you could give a try, which both seem to be having very, very good results. Um, just like the bones of the deck, I'm guessing Gem Razor is probably a beating on Cat Oven, Trail of Crumbs, Bolus of Citadel, all of these things. It, you know, so here's the thing, like you go down the list and the cards are all surprisingly relevant. So yeah, Gem Razor is fantastic. Gem Razor just, it takes care of problems you wouldn't have even necessarily thought about, like, like Oblivion ringing your creature. That's banishing light for the zoomers out there. <laughs> there you go, yep. You know, so if they're doing anything silly like that, then you get them. It's also just still surprisingly relevant, like picking off your opponent's omen that they were going to get value out of is, is not bad. Yeah, Pouncing Shawshark has been an unbelievable overperformer. That card is so much better than I ever thought it was going to be in standard. So here's the thing, it's good against creatures because they can just never establish their board. Like doing something like you ramp out a little bit of mana, maybe you play a Poliwog Symbiote, and then you play a Shawshark like on the end of your opponent's turn three and you bounce a creature, and then you mutate and bounce another creature on your turn. And that it's just game over for like a red deck. They cannot come back from that. So Shawshark's been amazing. The second card that's been utterly incredible for me has been the hemophage oh my yeah so this card is like again it's the kind of thing where the first time you hemophage it's not that impressive but sometimes you'll toss it on top of a mutate stack you've got like two other mutators you drain your opponent for three right that gives you an extra turn maybe against mono red next turn you play another mutate you drain your opponent for four and it just keeps going from there and if you ever put down two Hemophages in the same stack, the game basically ends on the spot. Each of them tick up and they both trigger. So I've actually had a lot of games where I didn't attack my opponent at all and I, I just burned them out. And uh, so that's pretty sweet. So that card's been an overperformer. And then, of course, running Auspicious Starks on the top end is just, once again, as soon as that thing sticks, it's, it's just game over again. So the deck's incredibly fun and uh, it's actually been performing for me. It's nice to know something about Ikoria lives with us in the form of mutate. <laughs> yeah, so the, I know it's a shame the companions, they just seem deprecated. You were telling me, CGB, that you hardly saw them on your mythic climb. Yeah, very rarely. And even the people who played them didn't play them. In fact, it was almost like the death knell. It's like, well, I guess I'll do this before I concede when they actually paid three mana for Luris, played Luris. Passed the turn, watched it get Elspeth conquered, death, and then conceded. <laughs> and it, it's just sad. It's just not what it used to be. Casting your companion used to be the victory roar, and now it's like the death whimper. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, at least that's, that's, that's what it's looked like so far. Same thing with Yorian. Like, 
well, I guess I have eight mana and my opponent has beaten me over the head with everything they have and I have no cards left in my hand. I guess I'll play a four or five Birdo. Yeah, I, I think that people still haven't given up on Yorian. I think that that's the one which we still may see plenty of in Standard, but uh, definitely not looking nearly as dominant as it used to. And to be honest, you know, one of the things that has been refreshing for me is just seeing a return to people playing random interesting decks that I haven't seen on the ladder in a while. So there have been some upsides. Who knows whether the Standard will quickly congeal around some really boring deck like well we find out next week right the players tour is next weekend the first one so the first effort the first go at pro esports in social distancing era on magic arena starts next weekend there we go so we're gonna get to see that and uh, i'm sure there'll be a lot of frenzied testing during the week so i'm definitely going to be watching a fair amount of streaming to just try to get my finger on the pulse of what excellent players are playing so yeah looking forward to that is there anything else you wanted to say about current standard before we get to our spoilers just that it's so it's so strange like the both the ban window and the changes to organized play have thrown everything for such a loop that this is what happens like we got this ban announcement so we knew something would be banned so we ignored standard for a week then we got the ban but we had to ignore standard for another week Now, on the same day that the ban goes live on MTG Arena, a week before the Pro Tour that's online, M21 spoilers begin. And because of the nature of the bans and the nerf to Companion, the format feels like Ikoria never happened, for the most part. Like, at the very... Like, all the Tier 1 decks were there before Ikoria, with the possible exception of Cycling. So, it, it just... Like, Standard feels weird, and I'm not... Like, the enthusiasm for it is obviously a bit lacking right now. And I think that there is now serious pressure on M21 to deliver. And normally we put this, we don't put this much pressure on core sets. But I don't know about you. I want Magic to be interesting for the next three months until the fall rotation. So I need something good. I really do. And I don't mean broken good. Don't, Wizards, I'm not... Don't 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 get any ideas, but I just need to. I need something to make me want to brew, brew a new deck, something to make me try something new besides a cat in an oven or a wilderness reclamation and an explosion. You know, we need another Theros beyond death, right? I think THB was like an excellent example of how to print a modern, fairly powerful Magic set without breaking anything. Yeah, good set. Good set. We're still playing a lot of these enchantments. You know, we're still dream trollering people. We're still the sacrifice decks got some fun new toys. It was just like a, a very solid set. And no no one could look at the set and be like, oh, this is underpowered or this can't keep up. No, it's actually been great. Yeah, more like that, please. More THBs and uh, less Ikorias and Eldrains. Shall we get our first taste of M21 cards? Let's indeed. Why don't you kick us off here, CGB? Oh, okay. Then I'm going to start at the bottom of the list with Mangara the Diplomat. This is three and a white, two, four lifelink legendary creature, human cleric mythic. And whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, comma, it's weird wording. Let me, (laughs) whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control, draw a card. 
Whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, draw a card. This is like the uh, fixed Leovold. Boomer references, dude. Gotta love Nobody it. knows what that means. And- <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. So yeah, Mangara the Diplomat, people are all kind of in a tizzy about how white's getting card draw and like that's a weird thing. I don't know, this card seems pretty balanced to me. I'm not immediately worried about it. It's not Teferi proof, it's not removal proof, it's it's basically not anything proof. It doesn't really get you value the turn it comes down. So this is hardly a card that makes me think that we're moving into some kind of broken format. What do you think? I think this card is pretty rough. For four mana, you get a two four lifelink that doesn't really pressure the opponent. So if the opponent's not in the business of pressuring you, playing around it doesn't seem unreasonable. Uh, You talked about Teferi. It definitely doesn't really pass the Teferi test because if the opponent's first spell is Teferi and they bounce it, you never get to draw that card when they cast their second spell. And I think that this card has a specific role in sideboards, particularly in a Wynota deck if it survives because it is a human yeah, that's that's an interesting idea there for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. Mangara to me... So here's the thing. Like, it's a decent card, right? Like, sure, it would be great to have this card on the table if you're playing against aggro. It would be great to have this card on the table in a lot of situations. But whether it's going to be worth the mana in any given meta deck, hard to say. This one's interesting. I'm sure it's going to show up somewhere. I don't peg it as like a leader of the format by any means. Nope. Speaking of a card that doesn't survive the Teferi test, why don't we talk about our next card here? So, Double Vision. Three red red enchantment, rare. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So, CGB, there are two things I know about this card. The first thing I know about this card is I don't think it's very good. The second thing I know about this card is that your audience is going to they're just not going to rest until you don't 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 start (laughs) oh man um for those who don't know uh, my twitch subscribers get to send me decks and have me play whatever they want me to play on tuesdays on twitch and this card has tuesday as we call it written all over it ultimatums okay i'm feeling it all right genesis ultimatum can put this directly into play yeah so that your second genesis ultimatum is dubs You've never seen such a thing before. Tell me that's not amazing. I mean, the meme potential is just through the roof right. on this one. All right, come on, just just bear with me. Turn one, Arboreal Grazer. Okay. Turn two, Uro. All these are hitting our lands perfectly, by the way. We're never going to miss a land drop in this curve. Just don't, yeah. don't bring it up. Just don't mention it again. Turn three, Double Vision. Turn four, Thousand Year Storm. Turn five, Genesis Ultimatum. Go. You had me a thousand year storm. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, one of the more fun videos I've watched in recent memory was that thousand year storm video you made um, where you were playing Mythos of a Luna. Oh, yeah. Yep. I don't think a lot of people realize that you can actually just copy lands with that card. Copy target permanent is a pretty powerful effect on a card. Come on, that's that's meme potential. You know it. I mean, it is, but but imagine you Mythos of Aluna your double vision. Eh? <gasps> you did eh? it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> mythos of Aluna, your double vision. We and then did Mythos of Aluna, anything. And then do it again. You're living the life. Yep. You're living the dream. So, uh, so double vision, we will see you during meme week. 
Uh, shall we move on? Yeah. I'll take over Spark Hunter Masticore, a three mana artifact creature Masticore that is rare. This is a three four. As an additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card. Protection from Planeswalkers. One colorless mana, and it's open-ended, so you can do this as much as you have mana. One damage to target Planeswalker. Three mana, open-ended, gains indestructible until end of turn. So, I mean, talk about a card designed to pass the Teferi test. Oh, yeah. You know, if you count passing the test as you had to discard a card to put something on the battlefield that might be immune to Teferi... Yeah, I mean, that that discard is really, like, the main problem with this card. Because otherwise, it's pretty fun, pretty solid, pretty Christmas landy. Definitely pretty sideboard potential E. So, okay, here's the real question. Is this card actually going to be relevant? So, is a deck near the top of the format that has Planeswalkers on low loyalty that protection from them helps and picking them off for one mana helps and you have so many cards... To your name that discarding one is fine. I just I don't see it. I I don't I don't see it, but maybe your mutate deck wants this against a super friends deck. Maybe some people try this in sideboard. I think the very first Massacre, which was a really long time ago, I remember when that came out, uh, Masks, I think. Arcadian Masks. Something like really old like that. Maybe I'm wrong on the on the number, but anyway, this card, like, it had this discard clause during your upkeep, and everybody was, well, that's terrible, but the truth is it was powerful enough, and it mattered, and pinging things mattered. I just don't think we live in that world. I, I just, I can't see it. I, I don't see it. Teferi would have to be in every deck, and maybe it will be, but there are plenty of decks right now that don't use Planeswalkers, and this thing is not immune to claim the Firstborn, like enjoy that yeah even the decks that this card is designed to beat ultimately don't really care about it you know they're like kill my teferi i guess elspeth conquers death yeah Uh, probably one of the best things that just wipes this out yeah taste it and or they're just like drop my dream trawler lol and who's leaving up three mana to play around of wrath or whatever when they have this on the board so yeah three mana gain indestructible is a bit of a joke right Yeah, this card to me reads like a five-year-old card, you know what I mean? Yeah. This is the kind of card that would have been pretty good five years ago, and uh, we just don't really care about stuff like this these days. Yeah, and I also can't think of any good payoff for the artifact synergy, like, ooh, you can get this with Emery. Like, who cares? (laughs) Yeah. You could just Uro. I mean, you could Uro for three mana right now, guys. Like, what are we doing? The only mana in which I imagine this seeing play is, like, if you want every part of the buffalo, like, maybe you actually like the discard, then that makes this a good spell. And you're, like, in a meta where, like, some super top decks are running three mana Narset, three mana Teferi, stuff like this that you actually do want to kill. I don't know, whatever. Kind of hard to imagine. Another card on this list, which we have up next here, is also a card that was actually good however many years ago that it came out when when did bane slayer angel first appear i think it was around 1985 <laughs> okay yeah so just just a couple of years ago they uh they printed bane slayer angel you know the, the the union of the united states was young um unrefined we were getting ready to journey west and uh this people were playing with this card 
Yeah, and a Bane Slayer Angel could fly from one side of the United States to the other without ever touching the ground. So, all right, Bane Slayer Angel, this is a template card. This is a card that people, like when people talk about Dream Trawler, they call it a Bane Slayer Angel. So this is the OG of this particular archetype. So three white, white, creature angel, mythic, five, five, flying, first strike, lifelink, protection from demons, and from dragons. So the card that this reminds me the most of that we've had recently was, um, why can't I remember her name? Lyra Dawnbringer. Yep, there you go, Lyra Dawnbringer. And basically Lyra Dawnbringer had one purpose and one purpose only, which was coming out of the sideboard against particular aggressive decks. So do you think that that's where Bane Slayer Angel is going to be? And or do you think that the prevalence of cards like Dream Trawler just means that Bane Slayer will see no play? I think that if Bane Slayer has any role whatsoever, it's exactly that niche. Bring it out of the sideboard against the deck that's trying to kill you. And since aggro decks are barely a thing at the moment. So here's the thing, right? If the opponent is going to play like Sacrifice, if they're going to play a deck with Witch's Oven and Cauldron Familiar, and that's the aggro deck of choice in the format, this card still isn't even good because they'll, they'll bring in spot removal that can kill the Baneslayer Angel, but also they can attack into it and just sacrifice the thing and you don't gain the life, so you have to attack them so then you can't block with it. And it's kind of a race at that point, but if they have spot removal, you lose. If they have active treason, you die. Um... So I, I, I just think that Mono Red would have to come back. Ember Cleave would have to be out there in big numbers. And even then, this thing doesn't necessarily beat Ember Cleave. It, it's really lame, dude. I am looking at an iconic staple of the past in a color I enjoy. And I don't think it's good. No. <laughs> I have a sweet art, though. So that's a yeah. plus. Some people will get introduced to this card, and that's... I think important, the the new generation, and it will be available on Arena for the first time. Indeed. Cool stuff. Take us into our next card here, CGB. Oh gosh, this is this is like <laughs> looking a at weird this. one. The, this yeah, this is the, this is analyzing the standard metagame for the last uh, few few months. Alright, this one's called Peer into the Abyss. It is four black, black, black sorcery, rare. Target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half their life round up each time. So to help you wrap your brain around that, I'm going to suggest that you have 40-ish cards in your library and you're going to pay seven mana to go from that perfect 20, pristine 20 life total down to 10 and draw 20 cards. Yeah. Which somehow you can maybe try to cast after you've already spent seven mana on it. I mean, it's it's a heck of a way to refill, you know what I'm saying? I think that's an understatement. Just let me tutor for seven cards. Why do you have to let me draw like 20? <laughs> so, okay. So what percentage of the time are people going to be casting this on themselves? That's the question I have. You're going to cast this on somebody else? I mean, decking, yo. Come, it's half. It's not. It's not all. No. I, what is this? This is like magic. This is like magic one hundred and one. You draw cards. Don't make your opponent draw cards. What's the matter with you? No. Um. This this card is a this card is definitely another silly one that will probably be forced upon content creators. 
um, who unwittingly let their viewers choose what they play. But I will say this. I, I, I thought I had like some kind of a combo, but I'm honestly like looking at it and it's kind of just a straightforward seven mana draw way too many cards and i oh oh okay i'm remembering i saw people talking about underworld dreams oh so that's that's a that's a nice little (laughs) uh you know just make your opponent draw half that deck and they just immediately die oh underworld dreams (laughs) and obnixilis right exactly so yeah don't give those people hope you just you know put them all in a deck together shake them up hope to get there I don't know. I'm I'm sure someone will meme hard with this, and it'll be fun, and and you know, and then we'll move on. So this next card is Liliana, Waker of the Dead. This is two black black Planeswalker Liliana, Mythic for starting loyalty. Her plus one is each player discards a card. Each opponent who can't loses three life. Her minus three target creature gets x minus x minus x until end of turn where x is the number of cards in your graveyard so very graveyard caring kind of a card and minus seven you get an emblem with at the beginning of combat on your turn put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control it gains haste so first of all i just want to say again the art is really sweet on this card really liliana at her finest the first thing that jumps into my mind about this Planeswalker is that it seems very pre-modern era Planeswalker power level, which I'm happy about. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Maybe we're returning to a world in which playing a card like Liliana Waker of the Dead will eventually be maybe possible in standard. However, for the moment, it's hard for me to imagine anyone wanting to play this card in standard. What do you think? Returning to a world where this is possible, I don't even know what that looks like with the current cards that are in any of our sets. I mean, this... So this this poor card. Um, four mana for five loyalty is pretty much where we start. That is not bad, but Oko had six for three, so the bar is a lot higher. Teferi has five, you know, for three... Uh, the plus one is card neutral, which is kind of insane, and possibly even card disadvantage if the opponent did empty their hand. You get that three life, but does it matter if you spent four mana on a planeswalker? Like, I don't, I don't think so. The, each player discards a card. I get that it works with the minus three because you need cards in your graveyard to make the minus three decent, but it still feels like a kind of horrific downside for a card that didn't need one. So I, I'm having trouble with this, and of course minus seven is probably not going to happen. You have to plus you have to plus Lily like three times. I think Ashiok is probably better than this card. Um, also, uh, cards in the graveyard. We're going to have to see if that's something that they do well for for us in 21 with. But I doubt Stitcher Supplier is coming back. It's not trivial to have cards in your graveyard. Oh, wouldn't that be nice, though? Yes, it would be nice. But if I doubt that's <laughs> happening. And if they don't have a very convenient and effective way to fill graveyards, then... And even if they do, don't you just want to Croxa? Isn't Croxa so much better than Liliana Waker of the Dead? In in Like, you still get the three damage if they can't discard a card, right? You don't have to discard a card. Only they have to discard a card. You get a 6-6 six, six body when you bring it back. Uh, the payoff for having a graveyard. I, I don't see Liliana Waker of the Dead doing it. And I 
man, I'm already like, I'm looking at all these cards. Like uh, the, the closest thing we have to playable is the Mangara, the Diplomat in a sideboard for a Winota deck that I don't think exists. Yeah, well, okay. Well, let's see if this next card here can get us there. Now, this is the first Teferi that's been spoiled in this set. We are given to believe there will be more of them. Also, has I see a... nine. I see nine of them on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are <laughs> nine, nine different arts for this card. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of Teferis here, and and this is just the first one. So, uh, what? Why don't you read this one for us, CDB? Which one? I mean, I, do they all read the same? I'm not. I'm confused. So, I I got it. There's nine different like arts on this page, so that it takes an entire binder. An entire binder page is, can be all Teferi of different art. <laughs> Snap. You know, for the collectors among us, get saving. That's all I can say. Teferi, the master of time. Two blue, blue, legendary planeswalker, Teferi, mythic. This one enters the battlefield with three loyalty. Three loyalty. And you may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi, master of time, on any player's turn, any time you could cast an instant. What a line of text already. What? Plus one. Plus one. Draw a card, then discard a card. Okay. All right. Minus three. Target creature you control phases out. We'll have to come back to that. But you don't control, right? Target creature you don't control phases out. Minus 10, take two extra turns after this one. <laughs> Minus 10? Minus 10. It starts with three loyalty. Um, so what What the heck is phasing? Yeah, so phasing is like ultra boomer magic for you. I mean, phasing is like lich. I mean, what? no joke, phasing came out in like 97, right? Yes. The first time we saw this, and they had already phased out phasing of magic, but I, I don't know. It's like 20 years since we've seen phasing or whatever. So this is my recollection of phasing. Now, you probably know, remember better than I do, but I think a creature, phase, the, when it phases out, you basically exile it, but it goes into like a special little exile zone that's not really exile. Yeah, yeah, you can't even say that. It's 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 the phase zone. It's the phase zone. And then, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it phases back in what at this in during the same phase turn phase that it phased out, or is it at the beginning of the next turn? That's what I don't remember when it comes back. I think it's the controller's next turn. Okay, okay, the beginning of the controller's next turn. We're going to have to bone up on this to to be sure. But the other interesting thing is that when it comes back, it doesn't trigger ETB effects. And I also, if I remember correctly, it keeps whatever was attached to it as well. Yeah. Um, The reminder text on the card is probably the most simplified version of phasing I've ever seen, which is treat it and anything attached to it as though they don't exist until its controller's next turn. (laughs) As though they don't just... Take, you know, in paper, I'm, uh, here's what I'm going to, here's what you do. You take a sticky note and you just put that over the card and you just pretend it's not there and remove the sticky note at the beginning of the controller's next turn. I, it can't block, it can't attack, but it doesn't trigger anything for leaving the battlefield or entering the battlefield. It's, it's like, it's like it got frozen, right? It's like it got a uh, target creature can't attack or block and its abilities can't be activated until next turn. It's like the Cloak of Invisibility. 
I don't I don't know why this has to be a thing. This is confusing. It, it's super confusing. Yeah, I'm frankly quite surprised that they chose phasing to bring back of all things. I think the reason they stopped printing phasing in the first place was that it was kind of confusing and not really that great. So, okay, so this card is doing a number. This card, like Teferi's of the past, is just breaking all the rules again. Come on, Teferi. All the rules. Breaking the rules. So the first thing to notice about this card that I want to make sure that everyone realizes is that a Planeswalker that can activate at instant speed can activate on your opponent's turn. And Planeswalkers get to activate once per turn. So... In a two-player game, this means that you can tick up to Fairy when you play him, or on the turn that you play him. And then on the next player's turn, you can also tick up to Fairy or minus to Fairy at any time that you want. So you basically, for each turn cycle between you and your opponent, you actually get two activations of Teferi. If you're playing a multiplayer game, you get all four turns to activate Teferi. What's a multiplayer game? I don't understand. That where you get multiple people into a room together? I- I'm confused. Who does this? We must be talking about Hearthstone. So that makes the minus 10 a little bit less of a head scratch when you consider that it's a three loyalty planeswalker. But I don't know. I mean, WTH. In actual terms, like, what are we going to use Safari for? Well, the play patterns look pretty interesting to me. So... If your opponent has open mana and no board, you don't have to commit a Teferi to the board if you think they're going to remove it. So say that you have four mana, your opponent has three mana, and there's nothing really going on. You just say go. And then either on their upkeep or on their end step, you know, when they make a move, you can play Teferi, plus it, untap. I I just want to interrupt you there because Teferi itself doesn't actually have flash, right? So... You do? Oh, it doesn't? No, it doesn't. Oh, it's just the loyalty. Oh, I thought that Teferi had flash. Was it one of the leak things? Hold on, let me read all nine of these to <laughs> yeah, make sure. Yeah, read all nine of them just to make sure. Maybe it was one of the, uh, like, first, like, they... So this this set had some weird, like, psycho spoilers that weren't actually spoilers. I think maybe the first one that got sent to me had flash. Oh, man. If, uh, if this card had flash... So you do have to actually play it at sorcery speed on your turn. However, from there, you have an incredible number of options, right? So the play pattern here is that you probably play Teferi on your turn and uptick it. Probably right? on your turn, probably. Yeah, you probably do, unless you're, you know, having fun with some ley lines or whatever. But then the cool thing about it is that you do actually get to see what happens on your opponent's turn. So you play Teferi on your turn, you tick it up whenever you feel like it. And then on your opponent's turn, you can either choose to take it up again, or if you need that interaction with the minus three, you can do it. So I think that there's going to be a lot of very frustrating interaction happening with Teferi Master of Time. Like, oh, yeah. Do you play into it? Do you cast creatures into it? How do you know how to, like, attacking him, you have to take into account that Teferi can either minus three to phase something out or plus again. So you always have to like send five loyalty worth of attackers, but then one of them is probably getting phased out if you want to kill him, but he doesn't have to. He can just draw more cards. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. So it's a very versatile Planeswalker, and I don't know, it's probably pretty good. 
I mean, all told, this card's probably going to end up being pretty good. I would be surprised if Teferi didn't see play somewhere in standard, especially if, again, you're like getting value out of your discards, then it could start to get pretty busted. I mean, the adventurous mind goes to Riel, the Everwise, or some of this other kind of nonsense, which, you know, maybe, maybe not. Uh, Real definitely didn't get there so far. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other, like maybe we can keep it simpler on the discard. Maybe we just want to bring Uro back a bunch of times. There you go. Busted card into busted card. Sign me up. But yeah, so Teferi is, is just super interesting. And I just like don't count this one out. I, I have a feeling like Teferi 3. When people first saw Teferi 3, they were like, ah, it's pretty good. It's not that good. I'm not saying that Teferi 4 is going to be as powerful as 3 Fairy, because it maybe won't. However, it's just like, I don't know, man. The curve, man. The curve is amazing. Teferi 3, bounce the one thing you played. They play it again. Teferi 4, draw a discard, and then phase the sucker out. <laughs> and then turn 5, Teferi tuck the thing they played. In historic. Boom. Easy. I don't think that proliferates really on the menu, but I mean, getting to that minus 10, that that seems like the first payoff I've seen for proliferate that makes me think, uh, I might want to do something with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Historic has that anthology card, Inexorable Tide. I was using it to ultimate, you know, Teferi uh, Hero of Dominaria and slowly exile permanence. I'd prefer two turns. Yeah, two turns is... I mean, that's decent. And so let's think about this. Even if you're not doing anything, right? So you play Teferi, you take it up to four. Opponent's turn, it goes up to five. Your next turn, it's six. So then next turn cycle, it's eight. Next turn cycle, it's 10. So you, I mean, yeah, you still have to do an awful lot of Teferiing. Dude, the Elder spell is still legal. Oh, snap. There we go. Ooh. You know, there's going to be some kind of super friendly shenanigany nonsense going on here. Yeah, Teferi's Teferi's gas, basically, is what it comes down to. You can use Teferi 3 to cast the Elder Spell at instant speed, and on your opponent's turn, like after they've attacked the Master of Time, you can minus 10 it for two extra turns. Like a real Nexus gamer. Oh my goodness. All right. So, uh, let's see... Oh, yeah. Okay, so th- this this actually deserves some mention. All right, let's just cover this one very briefly. Teferi's Tutelage costs two and a blue. It's an enchantment. It's an uncommon. When it ETBs, you draw a card, then discard a card. And whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards. Now, it's actually written on the card that it mills two. All right? So we've been using this vernacular forever. That, yeah. you know, when you take a card off the top of your library and put it directly into the graveyard, it is a mill. This, of course, is named after Millstone, which was one of the original cards that actually did this. But they have finally, after how many years have we been playing Magic, they have finally keyworded mill into just being an actual official word in the game. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Teferi's Tutelage gets a gas from me just for that. I would like to thank Wizards of the Coast for making it possible for me not to have to explain what mill means in every single video I make that involves cards that mill. Thank you. You, Like, that is one of those repetitive things that you don't think about as a content creator until you start doing it, that... If if you just go around saying mill, there are a million comments from new players like, what what are you talking about? What does that even mean? It's just beautiful. It brings a tear to my eye. Let's keep moving along here. 
There's another Teferi enchantment here, this legendary one. Teferi's Ageless Insight. Legendary enchantment, two blue blue. If you would draw a card except for the first one you draw in each of your draw steps, draw two cards instead. So am I reading this right? This thing only triggers if you're specifically drawing cards in your draw step. If you would draw a card except the first one you draw in each of your draw steps. (laughs) No, Uh, this triggers on every other card draw except for the very first one in your draw step. The normal card draw. This triggers for every draw other than the normal card draw. So this basically just doubles all card draw except for your regular turn card draw. This is a legendary enchantment for those wondering just how to get 15 of these onto the battlefield. What do you think? It's four mana. It doesn't pass the Teferi 3 test. No, no. Although it is pretty fun with Teferi 3. If you play Teferi and plus it, then play this and minus it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, look, it's going. It's it's definitely another fun build around that any kind of competitive situation is going to exploit because it's a four mana enchantment that doesn't affect the board on its own. I think that goes without saying, but it's a very fun card, and it it does seem like they're keep trying to make these cards that are just these overflowing piles of cards. If they stick, uh, Real, the Everwise, is the one that was very recent. And then you add this, and it's just it's just go nuts. You know, they want to. They're they're kind of creating the this toy box of these effects. It is possible that we reach a world where somehow these come together in a way that does something incredible. It's very hard to see it. Like I don't I don't picture it, especially without fires. So if Fires was in the format, you could probably come up with a way for this and some other card to hit the battlefield on the same turn without spending mana, and it would be terrifying. And uh, this in a Cavalier Flame, you might say, could do a lot of work, but but Fires is gone. Shall I take you to the next meme, or do you want to... Oh, take me to the next meme. I'm so ready for this oh, one. Oh my goodness. Every now and then, and I honestly think that these cards are produced for this reason. There is a card I have to go show my wife because she will find it cute. And I I feel like there has been a serious effort in the cute factor. So here we go. I'm going to go with Rin and Siri. Like my phone. My phone thinks I'm talking to it. Rin and Siri, inseparable. One and a red, green, white. So one and a Naya. This is a legendary creature, dog, cat, mythic, rare, 4-4, whenever you cast a dog spell, create a 1-1 green cat creature token. Whenever you cast a cat spell, create a 1-1 white dog creature token. And for a red, a green, a white, and a tap, this card deals damage to any target equal to the number of dogs you control, and you gain life equal to the number (laughs) of cats you control. Arjuna, cats and dogs living together... This is mass hysteria. Yeah, mass hysteria. Yeah. I can't think of a clearer example of giving the people what they want. Any fluff lover's dream, basically. Anyone who likes the cute cards is just stoked about this card. Cue the millions and millions of, like, cat dog commander decks. Oh, oh, Lord. (laughs) It's going to be everywhere. So this one gets an A plus for flavor. Also note that they listed the... Creature type dog, cat, not cat dog, probably on purpose. 
from a spikes perspective, what what is there to say about this card? <laughs> probably not. You much. probably just shouldn't. Nothing that will make anybody happy. Um, so, but I'll I'll try to disappoint the people anyway. Whenever you cast a dog spell, create a one one cat creature token. Like, what are we saying here? Are are we, are the dogs and cats? You know, yeah, having they, babies uh, together. How friendly what? are they? It, it's exceptionally friendly looking in the picture. I, I I'm just saying. I'm just saying they're pooping out little tokens whenever you play. I it's. Mm. I mean, when you talk about a flavor win, how much winning are we doing? <laughs> it doesn't seem okay necessarily. They kind of look alike. Look at them. They both have the mane. They both have a flowing mane and the pointy ears. Dude, dude. Those, those two have already, you know? They might be brother and sister already. We're going into some deep taboo territory here. We're like, okay, okay, sorry. Mixing and matching taboos here. One of those couples that looks alike, you know? Since- <laughs> So, um, yeah, this card, I, you know, build around it, have fun with it. I'll see you in bronze. <laughs> all right, so, shall we roll on here? Yeah, um, do you want to take this yeah, one? Yeah, all right, Containment Priest. 2-2, two, two, one and a white, creature, human, cleric, at rare. This card has flash, and if a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it instead. So... Printed just a little bit late for our Yorian Luca standard, but um, I, this card could still be very, very relevant. So yeah, to, to oh sorry, am I interrupting? Oh, I, I was just gonna finish my thought here with like uh, just to add to this like mono white bear hate parade. I feel like they're almost trying to make hate bears playable in standard and certainly in historic again. So um, yeah, anyway, yeah, go ahead. If a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast exile it instead is this why winota wasn't banned yeah i'm kind of curious about that i want to throw something interesting out there this is a human and it is um it affects both players if you put it so don't be that don't be that person with this card in your winota deck (laughs) (laughs) trying to disrupt the mirror (laughs) it's not gonna go well for you Maybe if it's the last one you hit, you know? Oh, yeah. If you just sort your RNG, stack your deck first. Good good call. I like it. I love it. Um, although you technically never have to have this in play if you don't want to, right? It's true. You can decline. It's true. There is that. But somebody's gonna, somebody's doing it. Probably. Somebody's just <laughs> slamming it. Probably not the sick tech you want in your Winota mirror. However, yeah, Containment Priest, you know, it has a lot of uses. I mean, one of the nice things about it is... It's just kind of a global effect, right? So no matter how many times your opponent would notice, none of those creatures will come in. So that's kind of, it's not just like a one-time, one-trigger kind of a thing. So that's really nice. So, yeah, to talk about other things that this turns off, uh, Luca. Yes. Right? So how about um, Cauldron Familiar? Yep, Cauldron Familiar is an excellent example. This also completely hoses my Mutate deck, so that's kind of a bummer. Maybe not. Does com- maybe completely is a strong word, but it definitely. Oh, Starix. Yeah, it turns off the best card in the deck, which is Starix. Also, Vivian Five. If you're trying to get value out of her minus two, this shuts off as well. Mm. As well as Ultimatums, P- 
putting things into play. Genesis ultimatum, sure. Yep. Plus other nonsense we haven't even seen yet, right? So yeah, I think Containment Priest is going to be like a solid sideboard plan and maybe even main deck card if you have some kind of like aggressive white humans deck. I can't stress enough how important Flash is on this card. Like if Hushbringer had Flash, Hushbringer oh, would be like amazing. This is kind of in the ballpark with the things it can disrupt. Like a lot of the plays we talked about, Cat Oven obviously is very low opportunity cost, but it relies on that cat coming back again and again. But like if somebody pays five mana for a Luka and minuses it, for two mana you play a Containment Priest, it just wrecks their turn. Yeah, it's, it's gnarly. I do want to note, just in case people were thinking about this, this card actually doesn't hose escape. So don't, don't be the person who tries to cast this when an opponent has an escape creature on the stack because mm. uh, you are actually casting an escape card. So yeah. that's a good thing to remember about this card. But yeah, I'd be shocked if Containment Priest didn't see some play. Basically, anytime there's any kind of creature cheaty deck coming out, you're going to see this card. Let me take us over to Ugin, the Spirit Dragon. Oh, indeed. Yeah, the eight-mana legendary Planeswalker Ugin. This is Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, Mythic. Seven loyalty. It's an eight-mana colorless Planeswalker with seven loyalty. Plus two. Plus two. Three damage to any target. Minus X. Exile each permanent. With converted mana cost X or less, that's one or more colors, and a minus 10 that you gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put your up to seven permanents from your hand onto the battlefield. Gnarly. This is like the big cowabunga reprint of this set for sure. I mean, Ugin the Spirit Dragon is to Planeswalkers as Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger is to creatures. This is just like one of the biggest, one of the baddest, one of the nastiest Planeswalkers. I'm super stoked to have this on Arena, and I'm super terrified to have it in a meta which is so good at ramping. I guess it depends a little bit on the meta game as to whether a card like Ugin the Spirit Dragon is what you want as your ramp top end. But this card is savage, man. This card is just utterly... If you've never played against an Ugin the Spirit Dragon, it is a bad time when this thing hits the battlefield on your opponent's control. So I, I guess like meta game is really going to be the only question as to whether this sees play or not, because it is definitely worth ramping into. What are you thinking about this card? In the current environment, I, I remember when Boomer Alert Ugin was first spoiled, you know, when it first came out. And there was a lot of talk about, is eight mana too much for this to be any good? And it turned out in a format that, quite frankly, didn't have... It had some good ramp, but, like, this this card was a, a hit in a Planeswalker Esper deck that didn't really ramp at all, unless you count it was some kind of a land, something ring, Mage Ring Network, I think it was called. But that just that's just a land that you charged up, and then it made a few extra mana. So, I mean, this this is a format full of good ramp. It is Uro, and this card, and kind of the Bant shell seem great. And Ugin is absurdly powerful. The Exile ability on the Minus is definitely relevant when you look at all the death effects and things that do care about graveyards located throughout Standard. There's also some interesting synergy out there. Like I said, the Elder Spell is still legal. 
So you don't need much to ultimate this, basically to untap with it. And if you have an Elder Spell and another Planeswalker somewhere, uh, Bolas Dragon God is still legal, which can copy the abilities of this, <laughs> which is kind of insane. Oh, that is insane. Like, slam a Bolas the next turn? Yeah, that's... If, I'm cor- if I am correct, six mana Ugin makes this Ugin two mana cheaper? Yes, you are correct. I, so, I, yeah, there's... There's a lot going on here. Um, we're already in a in a format where people play like this Teamer Elementals deck sometimes that casts Genesis Ultimatum. This in the sideboard of a Teamer Adventures is such a better finisher than the Chandra Awakened Inferno would ever be. Yes, indeed. It, you even get to keep the Clover if you use the Minus. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. I think that Ugin's going to be a lot of places. It is a contender for the best card spoiled, I think. Yes. Uh, the plus two to get three damage to any target means you just go out there and smash planeswalkers with Ugin and god we need more of that for real yeah and I can't stress enough that like if you have any way to put additional counters on Ugin you can legit ultimate it the turn after you play it Mm -hmm. and that ultimate it's almost like casting two ultimatums at once so it's just, it's pretty gnarly, yeah. There's no question that Ugin is just going to be, like, one of the most powerful cards in the standard format, period, for as long as it's in the standard format. And so I think the only reason you're not playing this is just if you feel like you have... Well, you know, the only reason you're not playing it in any deck that might reasonably want to to play it would just be that you have some other top-end finisher, like Enray's Forerunners, that just works better in your deck or something. But... But I don't know, like, if I'm building a Nissa deck, I am 100% more interested in Nissa-ing into Ugin than I am Nissa-ing into Krasis. So that just gives you an idea. I, I think that this card is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, do you have any intention of cutting Umori now to run Ugin the Spirit Dragon in your deck that puts a bunch of lands on the battlefield, your mutate machine? I mean, it's definitely going to be a spicy one-off. Like, hitting Ugin off of Starx is just going to feel so tasty. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to see a lot of people trying Ugin, and it uh, wouldn't surprise me if Ugin was a role player. In... I mean, even if it's not a role player in, in this standard, it would just be a shock if it weren't a massive game in some standard while it's while it's around this card sees playing modern you know what i'm saying like yep this card is good yep the house we've probably bigged it up enough <laughs> let's see here let's move on to our next card um i don't want to talk about this card very long azusa lost but seeking two and a green one two legendary creature human monk rare you may play two additional lands on each of your turns People just don't don't play this card. Really? Don't play this card. Really? I think this card's terrible. Why would you ever really? play this why would you ever play this card if you could play the Dryad of the Elysian Grove? Well, uh I think that two lands is a lot significantly more than one, but I mean you might have a point, but where, I, where do you get the lands from? Where are the Experimental Frenzy and Bolus's Citadel, of course. <laughs> oh, a baby. There we go. We've officially crossed over. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just next level it. No, I, I mean, I, I mainly agree with you, but this card has proven that with the right kind of cards in the format that it can be playable. You know, your point about Ugin being played in modern, so is Azusa. But we don't have the bounce lands at this point. It would take 
I think it would take a few special printings to make this card good. And on its own, I don't think it's there because we've seen this effect and they felt good enough to print it. So uh, I think it's fine. That, you know, you raise a good point that Azusa sees play specifically in decks where you're actually returning lands to your hand. Yeah, if we have other other decks that are doing that a lot, then Azusa could definitely have a place. But I mean, even like, I don't know, Dryad of the Elysian Grove still would, would be good with bounce lands. And it's just, I don't know. Anyway, that that's my hot take on Azusa. So uh, should I take us to the Veto Thorn of the Dusk Rose yeah, quickly? Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this one for sure. Are you really? Okay, fine. Uh, Veto Thorn of the Dusk Rose is two in a black legendary vampire cleric rare 1-3. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. And for five mana, three black black. Creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn, and you're excited to talk about this, but Isuza is a snooza, but Vito is, I don't know, something that rhymes with that that's hype. Anyway, go on. I just think I would be surprised if this card doesn't end up being surprisingly relevant. Oh my god. No, no, no way. Man, I like, have you seen those cats? Have you seen those ovens? Have you seen food? That's a lot of drain, my friend. It's a lot of drain. So, which, uh, what are you, so you're not going to play Mayhem Devil? No, I mean, you, like, you play this in your Mayhem Devil deck. Oh, oh, so you're going to replace the Woe Strider? Yo, check it out. You give, you, you use the activated ability and you give your Mayhem Devil lifelink. Oh, so you pay five mana to give the Mayhem Devil. And the veto that are on the board uncontested lifelink. Oh, okay, go on. No, I, I, yeah, I'm not arguing that you put this into your Jund food deck, but I, I think that this effect is really powerful, and I think that this card could fit into any number of like kind of drain and gain combo decks. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but when I read veto, like, I just think that this card has potential to to do a metric ton of life loss to your opponent. I'm on record. Competitive, constructed, unplayable with things as they stand now. Okay, so this will be fun. This will be our, our card to check back in about, you know, in a couple as of months. As things are now. They might spoil something that just says you gain 10 life for one mana or something. <laughs> I mean, like, if you combine this with any card that drains life, like, it adds up very quickly. Let's say you just have, like, a cat, two ovens, and veto. How long does your opponent stay alive? Like, Gary? Curving veto into Gary? Give it to me. Silence. I'm sorry, I phased out. (laughs) I'll, I'll hand you a meme. I'll hand you a meme. Um... Revival Revenge and this is nine mana win the game. Snap. Right? You love it. You love to see it. Take your freaking meme, now leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Is it my turn for the next card here? Yeah. Okay. Grim Tutor, a card which I personally don't think is any good. One black black sorcery mythic. Search your library for a card, put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library, you lose three life. Three mana tutor. Playable? In my opinion, no. What do you think? I'm not sure. I don't think it's for every matchup or even close. Like, doing this against aggro is a disaster. 
sideboard. It's kind of like a duplicate of your sideboard. So if you're in some kind of a control situation and you want to find your unmoored ego, but you don't want to play three or four unmoored egos in your sideboard, you can bring in a Grim Tutor. I still don't think that's very convincing, so I'm going to say no. Probably not playable. You know, there's a big difference between a two-mana tutor and a three-mana tutor. And I, th- I think that this is the limit. Like, the life doesn't really matter. It's just the cost. The cost and the and the sorcery speed, I think, is is what keeps cards like this back. Are we skipping over your, your boy, Quirion Dryad? It's fine. We can, we, can, we can skip it. It got moved to Uncommon for a reason. All right. So next card, this one's going to be interesting as to whether people think it's good or not and whether people play it or not. Ruined Halo, white, white, enchantment, rare. As Ruined Halo enters the battlefield, choose a card name. You have protection from the chosen card name. Why has Lady Shrek been possessed by the Exorcist? <laughs> Lady Shrek. <laughs> there is a significant amount of, of Green Lady going on here. You are correct. Okay. Yeah, what do you think of this card? Is it good? Hard for me. Okay, here's, here's the problem. It says you have protection from the chosen card name, all right? This doesn't mean, and so if I extrapolate this right, this doesn't mean that permanents you control have protection from the chosen card name. Is that correct? It's correct. Okay. So in that case, it makes this card significantly worse, right? If this said that you and permanents you control have protection from the chosen card name, I would be a lot more interested. But I just, eh, I don't know. It seems like a it seems like a fringe player to me. If your opponent's deck is like running one very specific card, such as, I don't know, Zenith Flare, then... <clears throat> Maybe having this in your sideboard is going to be good enough, especially if you expect to see that card a lot. That's pretty good. That's not bad. It's pretty good, right? But like, uh, other than that, it's like, here's like, do you bring this in against Mayhem Devil? There's like a lot of things that where this card's actually not particularly relevant. Like in the okay, here's another example in the Wilderness Reclamation matchup. Do you bring this in against Expansion Explosion? Maybe that's not terrible either. Is it worth a card? I mean. You tell me, do you like do you want to be exploded? <laughs> I mean, you're probably just gonna get shocked to death. Look, Let's look you have to have a plan, right? You have to have a plan. Yeah. So do you have a plan that involves ruined halo? It's an option. Is it the option you want to be using? It's interesting that Yorian can uh reset this. Yes. As you go through the game, you can switch your target. So if you want to play it on turn two to stop a runaway steamkin and then later in the game you want to switch it to an annex harden in the forge you have options like this but it is a it's kind of a strange card for current magic like cards like sorcerer's spyglass were almost good and barely good and kind of got there you do need to know your opponent's strategy it seems almost unplayable for best of one but maybe i'm wrong about that even it's an it's a strange card it's interesting yeah Keep an eye out for it. I I could definitely see it in a very particular matter against particular cards. All right, there's a kind of a whole bunch of nonsense here. I'll I'll let you lead us with the next card here, CGB. Sure thing. I'm gonna take us to Chromatic Orrery, whatever the heck this is. Seven colorless mana, legendary artifact. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color. Tap for five colorless which transfers to five mana of any color and five and a tap draw a card 
for each color among permanents you control. I... <laughs> so, the world we've been waiting for has arrived. We can use Titan's Nest to make mana of any color. <laughs> I, that's, I don't... Like, what, what the heck is this? It doesn't. It definitely doesn't pass the Teferi test. It's interesting because it's seven mana for an artifact that immediately taps for five mana of any color. So if you get to seven mana, it is like it only costs two because it pays back itself. But what the heck are we doing? I'd like to tell a little story which involves enablers and payoffs. All right. Once upon a time, there was this game of magic where you played cheap enablers to let you play expensive payoffs. Now, what's wrong about this card in the narrative I just told? <laughs> they banned Once Upon a Time, though. <laughs> I mean, if you want your enabler to cost seven, then, I mean, be my guest. I assume that once you resolve Chromatic Orrery, something cool is going to happen in your deck. Don't you want to just be resolving Ugin at that point in the game? I, I don't know. If you cheat this out with some kind of artifacty cheaty thing, then sure. Like if you could tinker this, then fine. Artifacty cheaty thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but even then, it's like, do you want to cheat this out or do you just want to cheat out Parhelion too? I I know I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Ori, but okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, this one just seems like some kind of fun. Fun, weird nonsense to me. We have ways to untap it. We have the manifold key, right? That's true. We can fetch it with Karn. Ugin makes it cost a little less. Like, there's probably some really stupid thing to be done here. I just, I don't know. I, I can't. My brain can't handle the Ori right now. This is another jank card, I think. Yep. This is going to be another fun jank week card. And it will be fun. This next one is a pretty good, like... This, is, this next one's a good litmus test. I'll let you take it. Yeah, yeah. This one, this one's really interesting. All right. So Gadrak, the Crown Scourge, two and a red, legendary creature dragon at rare, five, four. All right. And flying. So five, four flying for three mana. We know there's going to be a drawback. Gadrak, the Crown Scourge, can't attack unless you control four or more artifacts, yet it can still block, so that's a good thing to know about it. At the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each non-token creature that died this turn. And treasures, if you're not familiar, they are artifacts which have tap and sacrifice them to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So here's the thing about Gadrak. This card is sweet, and it is actually fairly powerful. You don't just throw this card into your deck. What? You don't just like, oops, Gadrak. I was going to put it in mono red. Just just, just, just chuck it in there. Boom. Throw an Ember Cleave on this sucker. It's an artifact. <laughs> it's pretty gnarly, right? So, yeah. So, if you have four Ember Cleaves in play, you can attack with Gadrak the Crown's Scourge. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing, right? A 5 4 flyer for three is strong. A 5 4 flyer that can block is pretty good. Treasures themselves are pretty good. The problem is that this gives you conflicting incentives. So like if you want to use your treasure, then you can't attack with Gadrak. And if you want to, you know, if you don't want to use the treasure, then like Gadrak's not, like you don't just want to play Gadrak so that you can eventually attack with it and have these random treasures that are doing nothing on the battlefield. So I don't know, You again, you have to kind of want both sides of the buffalo here. You have to 
get use out of like the mana from your treasure. And I don't know, maybe you're doing some kind of sacrifice-y thing. So, uh, you know, as I talk more about it, it seems like more and more of a weird build around to me. Like I kind of talked myself out of it, but it is a powerful card. Like making treasure out of your dead creatures is powerful. Having a 5-4 flyer is powerful. So maybe th- maybe there's a shell where this is good, but I- I'm-, I'm kind of lower on it than I originally thought I was. What about your opponent's dead creatures? Oh, is it just any creature? For each non-token creature that died this turn. Oh, I thought it was just your creatures. Yeah, all right, all right. That's sounding better to me. That's sounding better. Like, creatures die, right? What if, what if I'm going to play this with a deafening clarion and just get that treasure? <laughs> get that treasure. <laughs> well, you know? here's the thing, right? Like, if you're playing mono red, like, if you're playing mono red and you trade, like, any number of creatures, this is a problem, Right? And Mm -hmm. then, like, those additional treasures at some point in the game might actually help you cast an Embercleave. I don't know, man. The more I think about it, like, if there's any amount of creature attrition going on, Gadrak is pretty good. Yeah? So, better or worse than Vantress Gargoyle, a 5-4 flyer for two? (laughs) Okay. I'm going to call this one definitely better than Vantress Gargoyle. I think so, too. The restrictions aren't as brutal, but they are still restrictions. Yeah. And it's hard for me to stomach paying three mana for anything with a restriction. Do you do you notice that almost any drawback on a card is fatal to it seeing play? Name the last card that had a drawback for the controller that saw like regular play. Maybe I'm missing something. I mean, some of them are just bad, right? Like that four or five menace creature. It just wasn't good anyway. But but I mean that's three mana for a four or five menace, and you're like, you know. I, giving a creature death touch is too much. We have two mana assassin's trophy, destroy target thing, they get a land. Nope, can't give them a land. They will freaking kill you. I I think that just about anything with a drawback, I don't think they've found something with a drawback that is actually playable, to be honest. Like, what's is Rimrock Knight the best example we can come up with because it can't block? I I'm serious. It's... Like, these kind of cards used to be a regular part of magic. Like, think about risk factor. You yeah. know, it gives the opponent a choice. Both are upside for you, but it is a choice. You get the worst of the two. That card has become completely unplayable. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing. Like, the more I think about it, the more your deck runs creatures that are going to die regularly, the less interested you are in treasure tokens, right? Because all your creatures are going to be cheap anyway. So maybe it's kind of a counter incentive. Boy, this one's a really, really hard one to judge. Uh, if you're running like an aggro deck with a lot of artifact creatures in it, which isn't a thing, so it's not really a thing. This card sounds sweet with Korvald. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. This is one of those cards where you might dismiss it out of hand, but it is powerful. I, I don't know. I The ability to make treasures willy-nilly the ability to get in with a 5-4 flyer i don't know i'm gonna keep my eye on this one for sure or the inability to get in with a 5-4 flyer which in my opinion is the big problem here but yeah keep an eye on this (laughs) just keep an eye on it i think i read the last one i'll let you take the next one hack leader the goodest of doggos one and a white two two creature dog rare other dogs you control get plus one plus one bane hound 
Your time has come. Oh, baby. Whenever pack leader attacks, prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn to dogs you control. Worth noting, this includes itself. So when this card attacks, all damage that would be dealt to it in combat is prevented, as well as all your other pups. And I think that that means that the dogs won't be the most supported tribe we've ever seen. Because if that line of text were on, say, the Vampire Lord for two mana, the Night Lord for two mana, the Merfolk Lord for two mana, it would be too freaking good. That's exactly what I was thinking. It would be bonkers. I was like, God, that's actually pretty good on like any supported tribe, right? So that already biases me into saying this card is clearly trash because they're not going to print enough good doggos. There's, there's no way they can print enough good doggos for this to be good because it would be insane, right? Yeah, it's not even legendary. Would it be, though? What if combat just doesn't matter because everybody's playing Uro? <laughs> yeah, it's possible. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe text that involves combat damage isn't relevant. I mean, we've, we've seen places in the format like that. If, if a cat oven is blocking this, like, who cares? So I don't know. We have to see the other dogs. I think that's pretty clear. But the fact that this card exists is going to just set off the dog lovers of the world. So. I mean, yeah, let's go on record for saying this is a very good lord. We'll, we'll, we'll see what oh, yeah. comes down the pike. The goodest lord. The goodest lord. You're such a good lord. Oh, you're so good. Have a cookie. Give the, do- give the lord a treat. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to skip the next one, but the one I really what? want to talk about here is Lanawar Visionary. No, you can't skip the next one. I can't? Nope. Well, I'll let you take it. Do you then. think it's bad? I'll let you. I, yeah, I'm not particularly interested in this card. Okay. Then the card in question here is Primal Might. This is green X sorcery, rare. Target creature you control gets plus X plus X until end of turn. Then it fights up to one creature you don't control. What's wrong with this card? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just like, is this really the removal spell we want to play in our green decks? I mean, if we're going to play a removal spell in our green deck, there are two good-ish ones. This this, and the four mana Vivian. I mean, this is Prey Upon, but with upside. Yeah, I mean, Prey Upon with upside is good. I think this is going to be like a bomb level, like limited removal spell. Have you considered this with Feather? Uh, I can't say that that occurred to me. Get back, do it every turn, and make Feather a freaking house. Make it oh, make her huge. Sweet. That's pretty sweet. You're not wrong, CGB. I mean, at least it scales, right? The problem with Prey Upon is usually one of two things. Either the opponent doesn't control creatures, so it doesn't matter, or their creature is the same size as yours, so you have to two-for-one yourself. You don't have that problem here. Like, how much mana do you want to spend on this card? How much do I have? How much How much mana does your mutate deck have sitting around when it stalls out if it doesn't draw Starix? What are you doing with that great henge? Are you just drawing cards? You're making mana too, right? Yeah, but like Primal Might's not winning me the game when my mutate deck stalls out. You know what I'm saying? Why isn't it? Why isn't it? You kill their best thing. You mega boost your thing. You get in there with a questing beast that can't be blocked by little things. It's I'm off mm. it. I mean, ah, it's fine. It's kind of like, it'd be good. I'm not saying it's not great. I'm not saying it's terrible, you know, but it's just like, like we have uh, like Ram through as an instant speed spell, my friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, that doesn't give any kind of a boost and cost twice as much mana. <laughs> twice as much. 
Get out of here. <laughs> well, if you want to play it on the cheap, you can play this for one, and it just is Prey Upon. But if you want more, you get more. It scales. It freaking scales, dude. Yeah, I'm not I'm not convinced. All right. Fine. Go read your Lanoir Visionary. This card sucks, but go on. <laughs> this is one of the my testing cards that's been printed recently. Lanoir Visionary, two and a green, two two creature elf druid. When Lanoir Visionary enters the battlefield, draw a card. You can tap it to add one mana of any color. So basically, they have... No, you can't. One green. Oh, sorry. One green. one green. I don't know what I'm thinking. So basically, they stapled the Lanoir Elf to an Elvish Visionary and said, here you go. So we've already gotten the hot take from CGB. You don't think this card is good? Not really. I, I think that there might be some weird Sacropod decks that want to Neoform this that are going to play two. I don't think it's good on its own. It probably isn't good because, okay, because here's the thing, right? Lanawar Elf is good in a certain kind of deck, which is the kind of deck where, you know, it's probably some kind of green stompy deck or just, you know, any green deck that wants to generate a large amount of mana, right? Elvish Visionary is good basically when you're sacking it. Having both of those on the same card, it is kind of conflicting incentives, it's and and also like as you keep telling us and which i'm starting to agree with like card advantage just there's so much card advantage anyway that like drawing a random card off your lanawar elf when it costs three mana it's just like not amazing this this card's negative tempo i do think though that again like if you want every part of this card i don't know it could actually be pretty good which is better this or your or uro Oh, Uro. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question the freaking bar right now dude like like if you actually want to ramp would you like three life with your card and a six six beater for later in the game that draws more cards or would you like to draw one card and have a two two so i mean some people don't want to play blue bro dude they're wrong <laughs> they're just they're wrong they're just wrong <laughs> uh, no i mean this card might get played here and there and it's cute because it throws back to two cards. But, like, think about... Elvish Visionary is in Historic. Nobody plays it. Yeah. Historic's a slightly faster format, but it's still mostly warped by what's going on in Standard right now, because Standard's more powerful than any of the sets that rotated into Historic. Lanoir Elves play for a very specific reason. It costs one mana. Yeah. This costs a little bit more. Like, three times as much, you might say. One might call it three times as much. Yeah, some some math doctor. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're getting near the end here. I don't know. Is there anything else that you're excited by, CGB? Nothing spoiled in English yet. I think we can wait for the English edition of some of these because I wouldn't want to totally butcher what they do. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, it's good to just wait for the official English translations so that we know exactly what we're dealing with and especially so that we can get the card names right. So that's going to do it for the show today and for our current lineup of the spoilers. We'll be back next week to talk about more spoilers. I'm sure we're going to have a metric ton of them to cover and uh, we'll probably just cherry pick some of the highlights that we think are the most interesting to discuss. So, yeah, thanks for joining us for another week. And uh, you can find the show at ArenaCraft Podcast most places. We're ArenaCraft Pod on Twitter, ArenaCraft Podcast on Twitch. 
You can join the Discord by looking for that link in the show notes. You can find CGB at Covert Go Blue just about anywhere. He's particularly active on YouTube, and you can watch his Twitch stream. And when do you do that again, CGB? Four to six Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Thursday. Okay, great. So that's when to catch him. It's always a pleasure to watch CGB stream, so definitely recommend you go and do that. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Later. Peace.